A short disclaimer before we start. This episode deals with topics of mental health. However, they only represent opinions and suggestions and are not to be understood as medical advice. Self-care does not obviate medical conditions, nor does it replace the need for professional advice, diagnosis and treatment. If you are in crisis or feel you might have an emergency, please seek out professional help immediately and talk to friends, family or fellow seniors. We care about you and we hope you get better soon. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to episode 26 of the Sign Radio Show. The demo scene always had a profound impact on people's mental well-being, whether it be the sense of community, thriving to compete or being creative. So what makes the demo scene so special for people that aren't just computer nerds, but also artistic creatives? Welcome to episode 26 of the Design Radio Show. I'm Aki. I'm Axel. And I'm Zephoid. It's always fun to see how the order will go when I say I'm Aki and then who goes first. But it worked out perfectly. So yes. Good, good to be back. Good to see you all. How you been? Same to you. It's been a busy few months, right? So we're trying to catch up on, on releasing something again. So yeah, it's been, it's been chaos here for me in Sweden because of elections and stuff. And uh, let's not go into the results no. of the election, but uh, technical results and my part of the, the involvement was actually really good. So that I'm happy about that. I hear that uh, you have something to, to tell us about back in time, Zephoid. Yes, it's it's not technically demo scene uh, because it's more of the retro thing in Magog. Uh, but there will be a back in time live happening now in Bergen uh, the same weekend as Tursak, sadly. Mm. Um, so I think it's the twenty first and twenty second of October. Um, the thing with back in time live is that it has been going for about twenty years now. I think the first one was in two thousand two. Um, and it's basically is a sort of a reliving the old days of the Commodore, mostly the Commodore music scene, uh, with people performing uh, Commodore 64 and Amiga and sometimes other types of uh, tracks as well in a new fashion. Ooh. So it's, it's a sort of a concert style. And this time around, uh, I'll actually be the host of, of this one as well. I've been the host of the last two ones in Bergen. Uh, and this this time around, I'm going to be holding a panel, a discussion panel with the four celebrity guests uh, that are Matthew, um, Matthew that? Cannon. Yeah, coming, coming okay. there. Just take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Sorry, Cannon. Uh, <laughs> and then we have a uh, usual suspect because he's been there before, Chris Hulsbeck. He's uh, Chris Hulsbeck, as uh, Truck would have said. Uh, and then we have Mr. Cold Storage, a.k.a. Tim Wright. Um, right, who's yeah. popping over from Switzerland. He, were, uh, he lives in Switzerland these days. Nice. Uh, and then also another American, because Chris is American, we have Barry Leach is also coming over. So it's okay. uh, it's going to be really, Lotus. really interesting. Yes, correct. <laughs> uh, one of the most uh, well Lotus efficient uh, musicians I've, I've seen. He's done so much music to so many games. He's even been making mod music for toys. I think he worked for a toy company in the U.S. for a bunch of years, and they actually used modules, uh, ProTracker modules, uh, for as music for it. So in toys, it's, 
in toys. Yes. So we, so should, they release, their... we should release a music disc on a toy. We should. Yeah, we should. Can we should go there. there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll be I'll be holding a panel and a discussion with them uh, during this event, uh, and, and there'll also be music. Fast loaders will perform uh, for on the Friday. They will perform uh, a Lost Ninja tribute sets because it's the 35th year anniversary of the Lost Ninja. So yeah. they're oh going to do that. Oh my! I'm gonna leave. <laughs> yep. And then uh, on on uh, Saturday they'll they'll do an Amiga based concert with the uh, Amiga Rocks, which is an album they've done. But um, it will all be streamed, uh, I think, via Slay Radio. And uh, well, in case you have a break That's in your Trusac, yeah. um, or watching, if you can't make Trusac and you're near Bergen. Yeah, that's completely okay. Bergen, no one is ever near Bergen unless they go to Bergen, though. But, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you might find yourself in Bergen and go like, "What am yes. I doing tonight?" Well, there you go. Yeah, but in case you really have a fondness of the Amiga, I mean, there will be other guests as well. Like I know that Jaron Tell will probably be there because he's kind of an institution at these ones now. Joger uh, Liljedal will be there, mm. and a bunch of other old. Old farts, including me. <laughs> right. Old but respected so it's be fun. farts. Musical farts. Yes. No, the best farts. Nowadays, uh, nowadays Bergen is mostly releasing good DJs, right? With uh, Kaigo and Dan Walker and yeah, guys true. like these. Yeah. So still in music-wise. The new, the new scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, sadly, I'm, I'm going to miss Tersak, but uh, I think it's worth it this time as well. So it's it's going to be fun. Fair enough. Nobody's mad at you. Ah, that's good. Have a good time. Awesome. We'll tune in. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But today we have another topic. Uh, there's a massive interview coming up, right? Yes, we have a good guest. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about something very serious as well in this episode, which is is mental health and everything surrounded mental health. How are you feeling? How does a demo scene make you feel? And how can you feel better or feel different or feel in general? Yeah, I guess because most of the time you, you spend a lot of time working on something on your own or maybe with others or maybe not with others. And, and I think that's a different mindset is required for, for all sorts of disciplines within the demo scene. And it will be interesting to hear um, what he has to say yeah. about all these uh, aspects with, with, a, with a knowledge of an academic background. So that will be interesting to see. Yeah, we're going to yeah. talk to Tom of uh, Effect Genesis Project and SMFX, uh, who is a Atari senior and also a psychologist so that is like a very that's going to be a very good conversation uh, and indeed it's about like the things that is a demo scene a hobby scene that we started as teenagers just making stuff with computers but it also does take energy so how do you guys feel like what kind of feels does the demo scene give you and did you use it when things were tougher or like these kind of occurrences I don't know. I guess at point, well, back when I was a teenager, it was mostly just a hobby and I didn't see any pressure or anything. But but I guess at some point later on, it, it brings you nostalgia and you dive back into these basically experiences that you had at the time back then. At the same time, you're making new friends, you meet new people. And, and I think that's going to be the part where you create like the new memories. Um, you know, so that's that's I think an interesting part that, that at least I experienced that, that. But and and if you, I mean, it brings back the same pressure that you felt back then, right? When you participate in compost and <laughs> and whether you were, were feeling whether you were still accepted or doing something that is still on par with what others are doing. So I think it's still you know, you try to fit in with 
where the scene is at that point. I think that's how I experienced it, at least. So yeah, so Stifford, what do you think? Well, I mean, back in those days, I mean, I started out quite early in the demo scene as well. Uh, I was 15, I think. and But th at that point, I mean, my first party I went to, I was... 16 i didn't really know what it was all about more than hey it's a cool thing and then immediately got thrown into the uh, uh, lamer versus elite part of things uh, and luckily i happened to end up in the elite section because we had some originals that some of the bigger um, groups could crack so we got to be on the first floor and that kind of <laughs> you notice quite quickly that uh, it kind of strikes you um in a not always good way of not being allowed on the top floor, for instance. I mean, these kind of things. So I, I didn't ever experience that myself, but I noticed some others like, okay. And, and that was, I, I think that was quite a harsh blow, especially in the teens, like getting dismissed and, and how to handle that. Uh, but then again, I... Um, I have never really felt uh, any stress or anxiety about the demo scene, to be honest. Uh, more than, well, more recent days when starting to actually be part of it in a, a sort of a more open fashion, like hosting things. I remember the first party I ever hosted, Evoke. That was a stressful situation, I must say. <laughs> it was like, so that puts another kind of pressure on me. It's like, um, in well, imposter syndrome and everything like that just popped right into my head so it's, i think it's a familiar. really interesting thing like, yep. i can it's relate to that like the hosting especially is um that was fun but for me it's the same i think i joined and i don't think the elite lamer thing it was more in jest in the scene i joined quite late i'm a new school demo sceneer i only joined in 1994 um this is very fairly recent <laughs> this is fun to hear um <laughs> so um young boy <laughs> <laughs> and, but I was quite, it was like a teenager as well. And this is like, I felt like I found people that I could relate with and like everybody was making stuff. And there was definitely this kind of like, oh, kind of being better, but also helping each other to be better. And I never, for competition aspect, I always find that like I was always like in twos about it. Like on the one hand, it's fun to like kind of friendly competing, but why is a song better than another song or a demo better than another demo? And I, because then you also have to better yourself. And I always kind of took the jokingly way out and make kind of fun releases that then do really well because people remember them. Mm. So it's kind of like funny gimmicky stuff. And that really worked well for me. And that was also kind of like a shield to like, I don't really have to pretend I'm all super serious. I can just make, <laughs> look at this thing, it was funny. Bah, it was a joke. Kind of that like, and the longer I stayed in the demo scene, the more it just became an outlet. And I and I, because I love it so much, like when I started hosting Breakpoint, it was the question of like we need somebody like on stage to hype, and I was like I can do that. I've never hosted anything before in my life, and I was shitting myself. I was terrified <laughs> that first Breakpoint, and I remember standing in front of the stage for the opening ceremony, and Rick of Farbrush standing behind me, going, "It's all friends out there. Like everybody's a friend," and that really helped. Like he has no idea how much. That helped me to just go on and go like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to say like, no. And then it taught me a lot as well of being in, in the public space and being on a stage. But it's, yeah, no, That's I definitely story, have, actually. Yeah, I definitely have my ups and downs there as well. Yeah. Which is... So would you say for you that you encounter a couple of, of new people as well, probably through scene set or so, who rediscover the scene? Or so? would you say that it's 
easier these days to to join the scene than it was back then yeah i think i mean rejoining is a lot easier because then then you have a lot of old friends that you're actually bumping into it's like hey i haven't seen you for 25 years that's cool uh, let's talk again uh newbies uh it's actually i think it's easier these days because I mean, the world is getting harder in many ways, especially for, for young people. Uh, I noticed that from my kids and everything like that. But um, I think that the the respect, the internal respect between um, amongst people in the scene is bigger these days. And it's less of that true competition. I'm better than you. Thing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, because I mean, previously back in the 80s and, and early 90s, uh, there were a lot of flame wars and they were actually quite harsh. Uh, especially in the worst side of things. <laughs> Lame wars. Yeah. That term is like... <laughs> it sounds yeah, also dumb. It sounds like Mr. Perfect of yeah. the cool borders or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the name. That was, somebody has called that. I know for sure somebody's called Mr. Yeah, the Perfect. Silence, yeah, the silence guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there, there, there were. Uh, I think the the overall um, feeling of the scene was uh, were a bit harsher at that time, especially since it was very niche, extremely niche. I mean, it's niche today as well, but you have similar niches today, so it's mm. it's it's not really the same thing. I think, and yes. I mean, specific and, interests. And, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I think that's that's the biggest difference. And they got friendlier. Definitely, with people getting older, like. Uh, at least what I experienced at Axe is where the Comer people were just really happy that there were other people there that they didn't know <laughs> and just let's hang out together so it's also that like fresh like fresh blood and again it sounds like we're a cult um, <laughs> is good for the scene to also keep you interested and keep you excited and I think that is way more the focus is way more on the creativity and less on the status and yeah and for me, it never really... I just talked to everybody, even when I was a teenager, and I was just, like, mm. always super enthusiastic, super enthusiastic to meet, like, people I knew. So like, oh, you made that demo, you made that song, like, awesome. And never really got the feeling that it was uh, the people, yeah, that it was, like, looked down upon. But it was definitely some... Um, yeah, probably some... I don't know where this is going. Let's... that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do understand what you're say, saying because I mean, I've I've also been like I can talk to anyone. It doesn't really matter, and I, I don't really see the status side of things anyway. Because after all, just by starting to talking to someone, you actually realize that hey, they're human as well. They're on the same level anyway. So so it's but but it can be seriously wrong sometimes when people are feeling kind of inferior to someone or something like that. I, I've seen that at, at, at a bunch of parties. I've experienced it myself where, where I could have been talking to someone for quite a long time and then after a while, so so who are you? And I, I just mentioned that and then they've realized like, okay, so I've heard your name for like 20 years because, well, I'm that old. And then they kind of have shrunk and so you can't really talk to them any longer because oh they all of a sudden i'm not the same person to them and that's just a weird feeling um and i i've never really felt felt that way apart from some people who have actually wanted to express that they're better than than me but it's not a demo scene thing actually i uh, never bumped into that in the demo scene so it's, that's because but i was just Tangenting off, I think it didn't. It did happen that there was this kind of like, oh, we're we're like in the group that makes the cool things, and mm. and that's the whole competition aspect as well as like we're gonna win the compo. And I always feel like it. I get it because it's 
what we do, but I also always feel like it doesn't really land sometimes because then things no. get overlooked and and it's a shame sometimes as well. Like, yeah, people. I must confess. Big, you know, I must confess, I have used the fact that I've been part of Racer since 1988 anyway, because most people know about Racer. So that's... Uh, it helps, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it helps. Occasionally it helps, and it's uh, it has caused some fun situations. But let's not go on going to this one now. Let's listen to the interview instead, I think, right? I think, yeah, let's talk about like also what it does to people and how we feel. And I think it's... Uh, let's see, let's see what we can learn in this episode. Yes. Um, so yes, for this week we have a very special guest. We're going to talk about a serious subject, uh, but very much demo scene related. Um, mental self-care for the creative nerds. Think about being nice to yourself, but it's easier said than done. And our guest is uh, Tom, who is a member of EFACT, Genesis Project and SMFX, uh, also known as the Swedish MFX, <coughs> not to be confused with the Finnish MFX, or just called MFX. Um, so now we have to apologize to Vietze. Um So yeah, um, welcome, first of all, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you here. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about serious things today, but first, like, yeah, you're little. You're you've been a, you're an Atari demo singer. That's right. Yeah. So um, I'm 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 not only an Atari demo singer, but a kind of new Atari demo singer. So I, I started making demos in 2017, but actually getting more involved in the scene, that's been much, much more recent. Maybe that's part of some of the stories we'll talk about today, actually. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm an Atari demo scene, but pretty new. Pretty new. And that's actually what yeah. kind of, I think SMFX is kind of doing that, getting new people in to do absolutely wonderful Atari demos as well. Oh, uh, yeah. You were also involved in uh, the Summerhawk demo. Yeah, so um, I, well, Summerhack, in fact, this is how new I am. Summerhack was the first party I've ever attended, and that was this year, this July. Um, best, best party to start with, so just 30 nerds in North Sweden, absolutely perfect. <laughs> so yeah, that was my, my first ever party, and uh, I was lucky enough, uh, I had a few releases, and, and, and one of my releases won the demo compo, so I was very pleased. Although it was kind of just name voting, because people like listening to me talking about Brexit, and I think I just got votes. <laughs> for that reason <laughs> it helps it does so it also kind of ties into our previous episode where we talked about newbies in the demo scene so who knows maybe we'll zip that in like your experience might have been different than Tobach so that, like you went to Nova the first time did you feel welcome was everything good Oh, yeah. But I think part of me wanting to attend this particular party was these are guys who I've kind of known virtually and who've really, really helped me. So, I mean, big shout out to Speaker. If it wasn't yeah. for Speaker, I wouldn't be doing any of this. Um, I, I guess he mentored me. <laughs> in, and, and to be able to actually then go and meet these guys in the flesh just felt just so awesome. Nice. How did you get into so, this, yeah, that... this scene to begin with? I mean, how did you get started well, with your interest in it? There's a question. Okay, so, um, I mean, really, like, I've, I've loved demos for almost my whole life. So, um, my, my dad was like a, a, a teacher at like a technical college in the UK, and they used Atari SDs. I know this will get some laughs from people listening, some people will be laughing right now, but they used Atari SDs for, for teaching computer studies. This was like in the 1980s. So, we had one kind of quite early. And he would bring back, um, pirated software from work and i still remember the first crack tro i saw 
I guess it was like 1987, so I would have been about eight. And it was just the coolest thing I had ever seen. And I immediately lost interest in games. All I wanted to do was just watch crack throws. And then, of course, discovered demos. I was obsessed. My friends, they've come round to play some later 16-bit version of something or other, and I just want to show them demos, so bad luck with them. Uh, <laughs> so I love demos. At that point, I, I didn't know. I, I couldn't make them. I, I didn't I didn't even know where to start. I had a few messings around. Kind of disappeared a little bit away from that world um, when I became a teenager, but I've, my whole life kept this interest. Still kept checking back, really, in the Atari scene, see what was going on. And then in 2017, I just started making demos in this form of BASIC on the Atari, which is uh, kind of sounds a bit random. And there really was a story to that. So, like, bear in mind, I'd done nothing, really. Uh, I, I did do a computer science and psychology degree right back, okay? So I'd done a bit of programming, but I'd done nothing like demo coding. Uh, and just one day, I just was like, okay, I'm going to download an emulator. I'm going to start making some demos. Um, and I kind of fell in love with it. That didn't just happen randomly, though. So, like in my day job, I'm a psychologist. First position I'd always take. There's always a reason for any behavior that anyone does. So, what was that reason for me? Well, in 2017, I was going through this kind of big health scare. Um, I've got three little kids. Uh, in 2016, I, this funny heart condition had started. Um, I'm a huge hypochondriac, so I'm really scared of illness, which has got this big story for me anyway. And I was literally terrified. Like I convinced myself I was going to die like the next year. I was just, ah. Oh. And it was in that context that I took up demos. Could it possibly have been that I was looking for a bit of nostalgic comfort yeah. at that time in my life well i think i probably was so mm. like kind of came back into this world um started making demos i wasn't part of any kind of scene um i was terrified of the idea of even people seeing what i was making i just did it for myself for months uh then in the end did finally dare upload some stuff onto the satari message board so it wasn't a demo scene message board it was just a kind of an atari forum that was when speaker actually reached out to me and the last say five years have been him slowly pulling me into the demo scene with every step of the way me resisting through fear and self-consciousness and worry even as i kind of moved from basic into assembly language i was just still so scared about people seeing what i was doing really really underconfident um i think i'm now at the point where i'm kind of in some sort of scene um, i'd love to be more in but it's been such an interesting experience you know as a 40 year old guy coming to this um you've got all your issues baked in haven't you and all that self-consciousness you know is there so every step of the way has been pushing through these walls to try and actually do this thing that i do love but, what, but i just find kind of scary what, what did you what was the initial spark that made you upload your first thing that yeah, you well, worked interesting. on you know, as I said before, I'm a psychologist. No one ever does anything for no reason. <laughs> I think I'm maybe asking. I knew. You, yeah, you only told think... me. Okay, so, yeah. So, I think I knew full well that I, I think I was proud of what I made. You know, I thought... I, yeah. So, it's in this really obscure form of BASIC on, on the Atari ST, this thing called STOS, and there's an Amiga version called AMOS. Some people listening may, may recognize this, and, and it's, you know, really niche. This is super niche stuff. But I'd made this stuff and I was pleased with it and you know not only was I pleased with it but I kind of thought back to well how would I have felt when I was 12 if I'd made that I'd have felt awesome it's like I'd kind of gone through this process of doing this thing I thought was impossible and I think I I guess I wanted other people to see it I think I wanted to contribute to something. And I think I did want some validation. I wanted people to say, yeah, yeah, dude, that's pretty good. Um, 
and it was scary, but I managed to put it up there for people to look at. You said you were scared. What? How did you balance that out? Like, what was were the moments when you said, "Okay, I'm never going to do this because I'm too terrified of the feedbacks I'm going to get"? Or what was? How did you? Can you describe that struggle that you yeah, had? Yeah, so in, so interesting. Well, you know, I think what I'm doing here, I'm speaking about this retrospectively, as if I had this level of insight back then, which I didn't. I don't think I knew what I was doing. I was just doing this thing, and it was like uh, kind of fun. And okay, let's see. Do I show anyone? It felt really scary. And like I remember the fear of even registering for this forum, registering a username alone was like, oh my God, I'm crossing boundaries here. And then actually putting this thing up there. Um, and I remember just checking. I mean, I still do this now. I'm sure we all do. Endlessly checking, scrolling. Is there more feedback? Is there more yeah. feedback? Has someone said it sucks? Yeah. And I remember doing that. Um, now, I think I've become more consciously aware of this issue since. So like I've had periods in the last five years where I've been ready to completely give up and just, I, re I remember telling people, yeah, I don't, I don't want to put anything to any compo ever. I'm just going to do this stuff for myself. I've always ended up doing it, but I think actually this is kind of the, the, the existential crisis, the battle between the part of you that wants to stay hidden and wants to stay scared and the part of you that does want to contribute And I think contribution is about the public thing of people seeing what you've done. And it's also about feeling like you're part of something, right? And, and especially something that um, where there's maybe not many other people doing it. So you're, you're, you're keeping the community going. I felt both sides of that and they were in direct opposition. And I think they still are. <laughs> Yeah, if you were a bit older, as you said, like if you were 12, I think a lot of demo seniors that are now still active started when they were quite young. Yeah. And it's like that you're less afraid to show what you want to show Absolutely. if you're the most. So that is that difference Abs when you're older. Absolutely. That's it. There's the horrible self-consciousness of age. Yeah. You know, if only it could be Tom Rules. Look at this, guys. The most awesome basic caller on the Terrier Sea. Also, you can imagine that when you registered on a forum, the name Tom was obviously taken. Yeah, yeah so I mean... That But don't you think my completely unimaginative nickname is just part of this? I was too self-conscious to give myself a cool name. <laughs> you're, you're not the only one. To be fair, there's quite this. It's always either very extravagant nicknames like Atomic Werewolf Man or really like we have multiple people using their first name or even have nothing as a nickname. So yeah. literally nothing But, as a nickname translated in different languages. And you have that. there's few of those. But this, so, isn't that well, a bit interesting to see? Sorry, isn't that a bit contradictory to to use your your own like a real name and still not being too sure about whether you want to be perceived as that guy with that name, or is it actually? So uh, to me, it sounds like it it's more important to you that you get the feedback, or uh, how do I put it? That you're not that you don't try to hide between a nickname and that is important to you. I think that's a really interesting point. I think for me, um, I've been very aware throughout this, this journey of um, feeling very new and understanding that I'm coming into a world like, like that, as has just been said, was full of people who have been doing this for a very long time. So the sense of being legitimate has always been a thing, right? You know, am I a legitimate demo maker? Is this stuff worth people looking at? Am I breaking all these kind of cultural rules? Now, I felt that really hard at the start. And I think with the nickname thing, I didn't feel I deserved a nickname, right? Because that's, that's part of the scene law. You know, you, you earn a nickname. 
It's yeah. the other way around where we indeed pick nicknames to hide to not know who other people were and when then you met your heroes and they were the same kind of nerds you were and it was all kind of actually evened out and it's so funny that I think this is the opposite. It's really good to have you on because after Tobak, who was like, I felt like he wasn't afraid to put it out there to have that other newbie story who is, I'm yeah. actually terrified. I'm not as good as the others. I'm terrified to show this to you. And then having that reaction of somebody like Speaker pulling you in yeah. and making you, because I assume that he kind of became a mentor. Is like, no, you should go on. Like, you should continue. We love oh, to have absolutely. more people doing this. Absolutely. And, and, and in him doing that, you know, again, like... Uh, all of us, right, here's some psychology. I really feel that all of us, uh, in any relationship we form, we bring, bring bits of our old relationships to that new relationship, right? We repeat these cycles. Humans are so cyclic. We just go round and round and round, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but cycles of behaviour. And it's really interesting that, that, you know, when I first got to know Speaker, and, and he'll probably, like, I don't know what he'll think when he hears this, although I have discussed it with him since, I found myself getting dragged into kind of this disapproving father child relationship with him where I was always perceiving him as disapproving me and not you know uh, I haven't done this well enough and he'll be really pissed off if I've not worked on this bit of code I don't know if this was coming from him or whether it was a hundred percent from me but there was definitely this kind of dynamic I still joke with him about it now like you know oh, sorry dad disapproving it's in- dad <laughs> it's interesting because he is serious like and it's probably the push that the demo scene does to make something and it has to be good and that kind of male-anted way of like we have to compete we have to be the best I mean in the yeah. end we're also here to talk to you about psychology about the background of it all yeah and that is maybe for him it's just a way of communicating to get anything done because everybody will be slacking the whole time and he has to be a bit more stern because you see that in demo groups you see the, the one or the few people that actually will make sure we make this because if I don't. Then nobody will be done on time. And did you feel? Did you? How do you perceive that in the demo scene? That that the whole dynamic between group members and oh yeah, it's so interesting. It's something I've struggled with hugely. So like you know, like um, I think we've touched on some of the kind of important issues here, but like already. But if we're talking about groups of people together doing something through love and passion. There's a lot of room there for all kinds of positive and negative emotions to spit in. Because like I say, we're just, we're just, we're humans are just kind of these creatures of habit. We repeat, we repeat, we repeat, we cycle through. Getting together as a group is always going to potentially get tinged with other experiences of working in groups or being in groups that we've had. And I think we've also mentioned you know, there's something quite male about about the demo scene and the way these groups form. And, you know, if we think back, I told you, like, I love those crack trays when I was a kid. Mm. You know, they, 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 they were super aggressive, weren't they? They were just people, like, they were 14-year-old kids being vile to each other. And I loved it. And I, I was like, oh, these guys, they must be so cool. And let's be honest. I mean, I love them, but they probably weren't cool. <laughs> the they probably weren't these aggressive, you know, these guys were punks to me. They were pirates. They were like, <laughs> there was, I think it was definitely punk and there was definitely kind yeah. of posting. You had the nicknames became like macho man nicknames because yeah. the people weren't. And I think that was all very much escapism as well of like, at least in this world, I'm cool. Where outside, like when I'm in school or where I actually am not that cool and I'm the part of the, the, the and back then even it was very easily called like computer stuff is nerdy. 
because yeah. nobody else cares. So yeah, absolutely. In this scene, so, I'm going to be the coolest person ever, and my nickname is Death Destroyer, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna come and give you all the fuckings because that's what you need. And that is literally. And then in the end, nothing ever was. I think there were times when it was serious, serious. There's stories about demo parties where there were fights and yeah. But, very quickly it was all about the creativity in the end but you're very male dominated exactly. competition as it is competition yeah Why? exactly competition. exactly and, and i think as well with a really reasonably strong focus on production so like you know that you want to get stuff out and we even call them productions yeah, yeah. and i think it's just interesting with that language they could be called anything and we call them a production so this thing about finishing things is really really important so we've got these groups that are absorbing all these crazy dynamics these interesting cultural pressures around competition and production what are we going to have well in some cases we're going to have people super motivated by that set of cultural circumstances right it's going to work for some people but i think on the other hand we might have people who feel different and you know in my, my relatively short journey in the demo scene i've met a lot of people who persecute themselves for not finishing things. This is one thing you see that says, yeah. oh, I've got this thing I've never finished. And it's like, it's not like a fun, oh, cool, I'll finish that one day. It's like, oh, fuck, there's this thing and it's just there and I haven't finished it. Mm. Now that, in a group dynamic, can get really complex. And one of my experiences, not of the groups I'm in now, of groups that I've seen in the demo scene when I kind of first started trying to work with people, was people again understandably becoming really frustrated that someone isn't fast enough or someone hasn't finished or someone's made an asset that hasn't been used and and then it all got very ah and like you know all the kind of maleness and the competition was there in that as well so some of those dynamics they scared the hell out of me <laughs> they scared the hell out of me and in fact i made stuff by myself i have made stuff by myself quite a lot i've done that more than i have in proper crews. I don't feel it's, ready in some ways for some of those dynamics. They can be intimidating, I think. And do you feel that because the scene comes from that young vibe, and I guess that in the end, as you said, seeking nostalgia, I think for a lot of them who've seen it, it still is feeling like making is the most important part, but also that kind of vibe you had when you were a teenager in your room making stuff. Do you yeah. think, do you, do you see it ring still in the demo scene, what you've seen of like, this comes from that? I feel this young adolescent vibe. No, I think you're completely right. I think, I think you know, these things pick up on our previous experiences, right? And they just get filtered into the present. And I think you're so right. And I think, um, I think there's some amazing things about that. So I don't think it's all negative. I think that then there's some other stuff that's, that's perhaps lacks some of the nuance and sophistication we might need as adults trying to do a hobby like this it's that constant balance between that's the what two. i was wondering about what surprised you as a dynamic was there something that you saw at some rack or someone in your group that surprised you i would say what surprised me is only positive things so all that fear i've already described of getting involved and of being seen by others and of not being good enough i mean that's always been there and perhaps some of that is some of that's about me yeah but some of it is about the environment and and i think there is some of those dynamics there however the stuff that surprised me is actually things like the, the level of compassion and thoughtfulness um that i've seen from others particularly that i'm kind of involved with nearby in the stuff i do um really genuine reaching out to people who are obviously struggling and being very attuned to it so i've seen some of that stuff in a way that I've not experienced amongst groups of men before because I, I don't work with any women. I only work with men. And yet I've seen some of the most compassionate, caring behaviors I've ever seen from men in my demo scene 
friends, which is just like really, really awesome. I think those positives have very much been the things that have kind of surprised me. Yeah. Um, can I get back to you quickly regarding your your way of of um, how you studied psychology? What, what was the initial thought sure. of what made you study psychology, and and what how did you when you look at all these dynamics within groups, for example, like what what do you learn from from this within groups? Like when you said, yeah. because I think this, the scene itself caters to all different types. I mean, you can work on your own on a two hundred sixty five byte production that is probably pretty much going to be on your own or you can work on a larger demo that requires different talents from from other people as well do you would you say that this is something that is um you know caters to all types of characters within the scene like mm. or of persons mm. no it's, it's a really interesting question so so just on the first part on my my background um my, my my first degree my undergraduate degree was was in computer science artificial intelligence and psychology right so it was the ai bit that brought me between these two worlds and in fact when i finished that degree and i didn't know what i wanted to do at the time i was like playing in a hardcore punk band that was what i was interested in <laughs> i didn't care about anything else so i got this job as a c plus plus developer it was kind of soul crushing i thought i hated it now i wish i still did it but that's a different story <laughs> i thought i hated it um the band split up and i was left like oh my god all i've got in my life is this job so what am i going to do so i pretty quickly realized i wanted to try something else and in fact what what got me right back into the psychology was I was trying some different kind of jobs out and I went um, and spent some time working at a school for young people with really significant learning and communication difficulties um, and lots of like autistic very profoundly autistic young people there and I kind of just loved this way of working and, and, and it, it opened something up in me that I hadn't really had before which was kind of this 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 sense actually god there's a world out there that, that, that where, where there's there's real opportunities to to not just sit at your desk but actually get out there and have what feels like such an immediate impact on people's lives so I got into that and that's what took me into the psychology route um and I think you know like those early experiences um they really put a lot into me in terms of like values and thinking, well, what kind of world do I want to live in? And, and, you know, you work in an environment like that and you see, we work with wonderful people and you, you work in situations that aren't so good and you see situations where things about the way the school is set up or the people who work in the school or whatever aren't leading to good things happening. And, and there's that feeling as well. And I think, What that has given me across this kind of career in psychology, um, which ended up with me, I did a PhD and then I ended up working in universities. It's this kind of real sense of, well, actually, um, the environments in which we're in are often the most important thing to think about when we look at how people act and think and behave, right? We're very quick in psychology to say, okay, you're acting like this because, you're acting like this because there's a bit of your brain that's doing this or, or you've got some like, way of thinking that's causing that. But right back then, I kind of was more interested, well, hang on, we're all kind of social organisms in an environment. What might it be about those environments that are causing or creating or adding to particular kind of behaviours? And that's then ended up being my big, big interest in psychology. One of the things I'm really interested in is how what we call mental health difficulties. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about how those might 
arise because of an individual, because of, you know, experiences they've had or, or, or because of the way they think or because they have a neurotransmitter issue or whatever, mm-hmm. all things about the individual. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, but there's also all the stuff around that individual that might lead them to feel, think and act in a particular way in a moment. So I'm kind of really interested in that more ecological approach to psychology. So that was all a very long story. But to take the second part, that's been really interesting then coming into something like the demo scene, um, which is, is like a classic subculture, right? It's a subculture. We have our own words. We have our own subgroup identities. We have people who are in those subgroups and out of those subgroups. We've got kind of lots of routine ways of doing things and showing things. We've got tropes. We've got like everything that a subculture should have in one place. Coming into that environment, meeting wonderful people, doing really beautiful work, but also seeing some of the kind of stresses and pressures around those individuals and how they affect them, that's been a really interesting thing. And just like any other subculture, like any other environment, I've seen lots of interesting stuff, and we've touched on them already, that I've noticed with my interests about how the kind of environment around us in this thing we call the demo scene comes to bear on individuals, sometimes positively, sometimes not so positively, always really interesting to notice and of course i've experienced it too as a person within those kinds of environments okay yeah we'll get back to that later on uh, regarding the mental health aspects in the creative industries or creative uh, communities uh, on on their own what i would like to know when you studied psychology did you re-evaluate your behavior that you were too scared of releasing stuff before and that this process led to you understanding okay maybe i should actually release something that, to give you a bit of, I don't know, I'm just talking out of my, you know, because does it give you comfort then to to see that actually you 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 got over the hurdle of daring to, re- to, to release something? Is that something that you, I mean, it feels great to actually have done it. It's like, I don't know, if you're scared of flying, it feels great to go on a flight and, and land safely and, and you feel positive from that. Is that something that you would see that you've gone through as well? Uh, yeah, like a hundred percent. So, um, you know, like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go into this too much here, but like, like with lots of people, um, I, I have had all sorts of experience in my life that have brought me to who I am today. And some of the experiences haven't been great. So looking back to my childhood, I had lots of very difficult experiences that sort of brought me to the person I am now, both the good bits and the bits that, that need work and a, a really big hug from someone. So that's all there in me. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, I already mentioned you know, the start how, how you know i came into computing through my dad and, and like my dad worked as a college lecturer and there's a huge narrative and story there about some of the sort of relational significance of computers and atari and, and demos and all of that, that that came from those early childhood experiences um and, and some of the experiences i had with my dad were really awful experiences actually but those were kind of some of the nicer bits um coming back as an adult i i have honestly found myself exorcising some of those kind of demons that were left behind, particularly demons around feeling I'm not good enough to do things. So I, yeah, there's, there's a yeah, huge story there I mean, and I won't go into all of it, but I think it's really important to kind of to, to acknowledge that, yeah, what you said absolutely happened. I genuinely didn't believe I was able to do something. Uh, I then discovered I was able. I also didn't believe I was able to finish things properly. So mm. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could finish stuff. I kind of thought I always gave up and failed at things. That was my story about myself. Right. Um, 
And then suddenly I started finishing stuff. And not only that, finishing stuff that when I was a kid, I would have looked at as being complete witchcraft. Now, I'm not like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not blowing my own trumpet here. I've got a lot to learn in the world of coding. But, you know, I, I just, it, uh, I've always kind of tried to make my stuff for the 12-year-old me, right? That's my audience. I think make something that looks cool for you when you were 12. Mm. And then being able to do that has had a huge impact. It's had a huge impact on my life, actually, positively. Mm. However, just to say, it also does come, though, with some pressure. Because every time I've hit a roadblock in this process, it's like, oh, it's all going to go wrong, just like it always does. I'm going to quit. I'm going to fail again. So <laughs> it's been positive and it's also been complicated. Right. But I guess uh, that's just, I guess that's something that all of us know. Um, also, whenever I ask something that you don't feel comfortable about, just let us know. Um, because oh, I'm I'll just going to throw a question at you and I'm just, you're going to say, okay, stop it. And, and move I'm on. more thinking of the audience. <laughs> they they don't want to hear that. I think it's super, super interesting. Uh, because actually, you know, it's not you going through these on your own. I mean, all of us have gone through this. Uh, the first time I went to a party and released something at a compo or, uh, and, and Oki did the same, uh, you know, you are scared of whether people laugh while your song runs in a music compo. So things like this, so it's, it's, it happens to all of us and, and we survived. And I think once you actually find out that it's okay, then I think that's the super motivational part of it that, you know, makes you go on and try, try harder next time, maybe. And, and I think I, I know a lot of people who are, who are super talented, but who are not able to finish something. And I think that is something that I would find very interesting from your um, perspective, how you see that from, from the psychological view, like, you know, there are so many super talented people who don't, who are not that successful because they don't, you know, manage to wrap it up. And, and is that something yeah. that you, I mean, you seem to, you get some, <laughs> you make yourself some pressure now as well for the next productions and all that. So is that something that you have encountered on your own as well? Or how do you, how do, how can people deal with this? Oh, no, absolutely. But I think, I think let's just come back to that psychology 101 point that everything happens for a reason. If someone is, well, actually, no, let's also accept, there's probably are some people out there who like just, just making stuff and they don't care if they finish it or not. I think that's a completely legitimate thing to do. But let's assume we're talking about people who are a little more tortured by that. And, and I know some people, just as you're talking about here, who they're actually not completely happy just sitting by themselves doing it. They want to be able to do more. I think what we can all do and it's a hard process but what we can do is really really try to look into ourselves and try and identify work back what is it that stops us uh people don't do things when 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 they're scared of what the outcome is going to be <laughs> you don't have to be a psychologist to know that but fundamentally people don't do things when there's fear or anxiety or pain associated with finishing something and that leads me to two conclusions Conclusion one is some people may find themselves in that position because they're terrified they're not going to make something as good as what they've made in the past. And I think I know some people who fall into that category. That's a really, really difficult place to be. It's very hard to know how to advise somebody in that position, actually, because what's happening in that moment is almost the whole identity is being tied up in, in what it is to produce this thing. They're holding themselves to a probably completely different level of account than they would anyone else. 
they're looking at them with their own work through a lens that is going to be formed through all their own insecurities. Very hard to know how to help someone. Other than just to kind of be there and be caring and show compassion for someone who's in that position and not to put pressure on them to finish. That's the best we can do around that sort of person. I think there's though another group of people who find finishing something difficult because they become so embroiled in the making that they feel a huge sense of loss when they finish. I've had that experience to an extent. The last demo I finished at Summer Hack, which took months, and really it took years because there were bits of it I wrote years ago and it, it was huge. It just took so long. For a long time, I'm sure you will all identify this. I, I didn't really think of much else but that unless I had to. So it was the first thing I thought about in the morning. It was the last thing I thought about when I went to sleep. I dreamt about it for a good few weeks before summer back. <laughs> dreamt about what it would be like to show this thing. There's a huge sense of loss because, okay, there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of um, sometimes restless energy tied up in wanting to get something finished. But that's a huge thing to disappear when it's gone. That's part of your life, just just missing. Really simple piece of psychological advice. If you lose one thing, make sure you replace it with something else. Don't get rid of something unless you get something to replace it. So this year, what I tried to do strategically when I finished this demo, I made sure I had stuff already done a bit. Now, not to take anywhere, but just so I could continue doing some like code afterwards. The year before um, on my summer hack release from 2021, I didn't do that. And it really hit me. And I didn't really do anything for about like four or five months afterwards, every day feeling kind of, oh, why am I not doing anything? I want to be doing this. Telling people, yeah, I think I've given up. <laughs> I don't understand this, but I think I've given up. Such a strange experience. And it was because I went from 100, 100, 100% to absolutely nothing. We can therefore set ourselves up structures to make sure that doesn't happen. And we can kind of make sure we have these morsels of things we can work on when we have finished a big project. Because no one could be expected to deal with just losing such a huge part of your life. You show it at the party, it's gone. You get a few comments then it's no, no longer there. That, that's, yeah, what's next? that's something right. to grieve. Yeah. yeah, what's next? You will mm. grieve that loss, actually, unless you replace it with something gradually as it goes. And that's probably also the reason for the post-party depression. Like when you've been to, yeah. like, okay, you've been excited so much about the party coming up and when you go back home, you feel like empty. And, and I think that's probably something that Oki, you know a bit about. That. It's, it's, it's a really good point of that you also may have to think about what it means to you and when it's gone, what it means to you. And I see the similar creative, like it maps with in the game industry, there's always that when the game ships and people have that same, we call it the ravine, where you just kind of fall down because everything is done and it's a it's a really big deal and it's really mm -hmm. good advice to like make sure you keep going and I know people that are also super motivated by it to keep going but I also like it's interesting I would like the perspective of the group of people because you talked about which I think is really interesting the people that have the best themselves the better themselves or what will people say but what about the new people that think they're just not good enough as you said as well, like you were scared to release. Like, do you have advice for somebody that really wants to be a creator, but is so intimidated by all the stills and the fair lights and all the like the the mad wizards and the fantastic groups that make make stuff, and they think I can never achieve that, so I might as well not enter. Like, mm -hmm. do you have any? How can we? make sure that these people will actually enter because we want to see their stuff we really do 
Yeah. Well, uh, I can tell you what, what, what people should do is the opposite of what I did. So what I did was I was so scared, um, of, of this thought that I might be rejected or, or not fit into this group that I wanted to, to at least sort of be part of, um, or, or to have some kind of, um, uh, have some audience of. Uh, I was so scared that I made no approaches to that group. And so I just sat doing it by myself building up a completely incorrect view of what a demo party or demo compo actually was. So, you know, I'm an, okay, I'm 43. So I grew up in the 1980s in the UK. And in the 1980s in the UK, um, uh, we obviously had a government that was like super about being an individual and being in competition with other individuals. So I went, you know, in the UK, our culture was really built strongly around ideas around competition and survival of the fittest. It was all very Darwinist, you know, economic survival of the fittest, educational survival of the fittest. These are the values of competition that I was socialized into as a kid. So having had no contact with the group I was interested in being part of, having gone to no compos, I could only imagine what this was. And in my head, I built it up to be something like a really nasty physical education lesson at school where everyone would be laughing if you're not good enough and you'd be ridiculed and it'd be, oh, look at him with his. Now, if I'd have just gone and met people, I would have not only understood that was wrong, but I also, and this is something I've understood more recently, would understand that you know, in our beautiful international community, there may be some different views about competition that are a bit less negative and aggressive than mine that emerged in the 1980s in the UK. So hanging out with Swedish people has been awesome because Swedish people seem to have this view on competition, which is kind of still competitive, right? But it's like caring and collegiate and community-based versus my UK version, which is you win or you die. You die. <laughs> the games for Exactly. So if I'd have seen that, now I the other big issue here, which we can talk about, is I, I I accessed and entered the demo scene entirely online, and the internet. Ah, I'm ambivalent about it, guys. I'm not sure that was necessarily the socially best way for me to get experience of this thing. It's a good thing to hit on as well, because I think communication, as we all know, communication on the internet and before that even on BBS is is different and. I, I'm always worried that people can get an image of, as you say, the demo scene where you feel it's like this because I read the disc mess, I see the scrollers, I see everybody yelling at each other. Is this secular thing? And then you go to a party and I will say, I guess it's also different per scene, per per kind of, like, I think there's, and that's also good, there's different kinds of opinions about, there is nobody in charge of that says what the demo scene should be like, which also makes it really ungraspable of like, oh, this group of people like the Atari scene and the old the Commodore 64 scene you see it in these older scenes are way more welcoming to new people doing stuff because they're like, you're also doing something and it's us 12 that have been doing this for the last decade. So yeah. I think that is also, it's just, so you would say like, so to the new person is like, go out, go visit a party. Don't, yeah. And even if you're alone, like, I assume well, you're that, alone. That's interesting. No. So yeah, that, that's, you're right. That's, that's, so is this one of these times where we need to look at the structures that we have and yeah. think about, well, how, how could we make this practically more welcoming for new people? I, now, I, I'm not saying it isn't welcoming for new people because especially I've been to one party and I knew you know, these guys a little bit already. And, and I even, in fact, traveled with some other British guys who I'd never met before, but they were just so lovely and caring. So I was very protected. Would I, would anyone dare just rock up to 
evoke by themselves. I, I don't know. Would, like a big party would they? that was intimidating, yeah. But, but I'm sure we could, you know, the idea of someone coming to something for the first time by themselves in another subculture or hobby, surely this isn't crazy. Surely we can find that way of helping people. Um, if it's not there, do you think it's there already? It, it, we have like revision, especially because it's such a massive party. They have a newbie table and they try to have a mentor program and there's really good work done there to be as welcoming as possible, but you can try as much if it's still, I've talked to these people that were like, I was terrified to go to this giant yeah. hall where everybody seemed to know each other, except I didn't know anybody. And I, th I don't know, like I would love to make it more like, come here, come in. I was like, come in and here is Sir Garbage Truck who knows everybody and he will bring you to somebody to help because those, cause he would be the clue. I don't know if you've heard about him, but he is this demo senior that is basically, he's our, our Santa and and knows everybody and he also is really good in having people that are like kind of scared or new to like oh you should talk to that person because he is like you will gel and he is always right mm. but yeah we only have one of him so it's like anything to make things more approachable i think yeah. even what we try like it's it seems such a and that maybe come might come from that whole com co uh, competition aspect no, like it is all very much brr. And I think as well, like in any uh, subculture theory 101, subcultures absorb the culture that's above them, right? Subcultures, they absorb the dominant culture. There is no subculture that doesn't reflect aspects of a dominant culture. Um, you know, where we are all sitting right now, we live in very hierarchical cultures, right? We don't live in horizontally organized cultures. We have lines of power up above us. Of course, in any community, you see those lines emerge. And and I think that's kind of interesting. So we still get this sense of elites. I know, I know we joke about it a little bit now, most of us. But, you know, you, you, you know who's elite and who isn't. And, and I guess if you've got elite, you've also got lameness. And, you know, you, you're new. You don't want to be, you know who you want to be with. But do you dare talk to them? Because these are the guys with the power and they're proper and you once you get into that it feels very very difficult and those same structures that's not a demo scene thing that's a culture thing you look anywhere you will see those lines and those structures emerge be maybe what we can do is sorry before we dive into these structures i would like to get back quickly bef before we go to that um when you were sounding like did you show your production to someone before you went out there because back then in our days we had a computer club and you could show your song to one guy and he like oh you should show it to that guy and then basically this whole this uh, you climb the hierarchy up there and and you think okay okay i'm, I'm gonna show it to that guy and that guy and then someone likes it and you have to the feedback that someone likes it and all that. but now in like you said in the online days you basically work on this on your own and then at some point you need to make the big step is that some something that you found difficult or is that something that you you sh showed it to a couple of persons be in your environment before you went out there or how does that work now again i found that exceptionally difficult and and if anyone listening wants to get into this try to find a way for that to feel an okay thing to do now for me i've already talked a little bit about my kind of backstory and what brought me to this and for me particularly in the first few years i had this real it was wrong but i had this real very individualized sense that 
if you can't do it by yourself, kid, it's not worth doing. So I had this thing, I felt this shame of the thought of showing something or in case someone said, oh yeah, that's nice, but you could do it like this. Or I just didn't even want to get into those discussions. Now I can kind of reflect on this. Maybe it's because I've been around a while, but I think it's because I've had some of these conversations in person. I would love to show people stuff in person, but it's Mm. the thought of emailing someone something and then them sending something that I would find that so weird. And I do find that really strange. When I was at Summerhack, you know, we showed this demo and and people came up and they were just lovely. And we, you know, had a beer and we talked about it and they said, yeah, and I like this bit here. And did you think about doing it this way? And I was like, yeah, cool, cool idea. That written down in like a Pouette comment or in an email to me, I think would have broken my heart. Right. So isn't it interesting how but these different mediums it. of communication... You didn't see their faces when they were watching it, right? So that, yeah. that is what makes the whole difference, right? Yeah, it's almost like we are evolved to spend time with each other. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? <laughs> Crazy. Absolutely. That's actually really interesting, yeah. Well, yeah, and it, 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 like it, as you said, like it's elites, and then they have to be like lamers. And I think it's like it's a thing that is like we never really pay attention to the middle part of people that are great or okay. Or and and I sometimes feel it's also a shame that you, it's everybody looks up to the big groups, and it's like you want to do the big thing, but it's like how could we say, I feel like that's that competition aspect. It's something that's been bothering me as well. It's like, why does everything have to be, although I get the push, but it also takes away that I just want to make something for fun or I'm making something to show to my friends and what for me is a really big deal in the demo scene. Or could you give us some explanation of why we look up to the, the big names, like it, be it in pop culture, in the music or in the demo scene or movie stars? Is that something that you would see the demo scene has a part of this pop culture as well because we do look up to the good ones and we are skeptical about the new ones or yeah well there's this is a a kind of issue in psychology that's like really controversial and there's lots of there's lots of disagreement about essentially what i'm reading your question is asking is what why do our societies seem to organize themselves into sort of power or esteem structures rather than being organized horizontally, right? Because they could be. Why why don't we just have more egalitarian societies rather than what we seem to have, which is where we have a few people in one position and like you say, a very large group either looking up or or in awe or angry towards that group. There's some psychologists who argue that this is kind of biological, right? So we're kind of born with with some sort of social, socially innate mechanisms that, that drive us into these kind of societal structures in the way that, say, bees organize in the sort of societal structure. Looking for a leader within people, the tribe. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. So lots of people make that argument. Um, now, this is a kind of controversial area. So like um, uh, people may disagree with listening. Some people may see that as a really good, good argument. Um, I, I personally less into that argument i i think we are much more socialized into the ways we are um i i there's really interesting social histories written of say you know ten thousand 
stuff that's been found about things that are written about some tribes, say, 10,000 10, years ago or so, showing large tribes that do organise horizontally, actually, as, as they did in the past. So there, there's arguments that it's maybe not natural to organise into these lines. Um, people who go that route might suggest that perhaps the kind of economic and cultural environment that we're socialised into makes us line up like this, and at which point I start sounding a little bit Marxist, and maybe I don't mind. Yeah, but the, that's okay. for the listeners to decide. Yeah, but capitalism basically forces you to direct in that, uh -huh. in that line. Right, right? okay. So, so there's your two sets of arguments. Yeah. Is this biological and innate and coming from humans, or is it coming from the societies and the environments around us, and yeah. like you say, the capitalist environment? Well, I'll let people listening make their own right. decisions on that. But what I would say is, whether it is or isn't biological or socialised, we have choices as humans, right? We do have free will. It might mean we have to explicitly call out the way we see things and if we want them to be different, but we can make them different. Like, you know, the kibbutzes of Israel were horizontally organized social structures. They managed to do it. So whether they've been socialized into it or whether their brains were telling them different, they still did it. Um, I think some of the experience I've had in the demo scene have been outside of that hierarchy. Certainly some hack. There's some other, you know, there were guys there who, I wanted to hero worship, but I didn't feel it at all. It was not how it was run and how it was organized. So we can do whatever as humans, wherever this stuff's coming from. It's just we have to call it out. But people yeah, do... It feels attainable, yeah. I think. As you say, like, the... Because the, 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 I think there's also people, like, now especially in the scene, has become less, like, minded in that people, but, like, don't really take it that seriously anymore. But there's also people that got known just because they made good stuff, but they didn't necessarily want to be known. They just wanted to make stuff. And that kind of, like, got in a fight with each other. Like, I'm going to make a demo, but then everybody's going to complain because no. I made a demo and it's not good enough. And it's that, like, they didn't choose to be in charge or to choose to be that symbol that people aspire to. And I feel like we should... I always personally feel like we should indeed f make it more horizontal, flatten it, like make stuff of a level. Yeah, but as soon as you do something outstanding, people will look up to you and, and, yeah. and they will expect you. How cool would it be if he releases another awesome thing next time? I mean, so many questions for when are you going to do the sequel to that one thing you made? And people always go, never. Yeah. yeah, but that's that's it's, normal, it's isn't it? I, want, I mean, it's yeah. the same with a, a super great pop song or with an album or with a, a piece of art that you drew and or with a movie that you made. Is that something that is typical for the creative industries or creative communities, you would say? That's really difficult. I'm, that's, I think we're outside my pay grade on that question. But I do think... Whether, again, just back to that point, whether we are how we are around these things because it's how we're evolved to be or whether it's because of the societies we're into, um, we see the same patterns replicating everywhere. You're completely right. I think... Um, I mean, I think there's probably things we could we could question about the way that, let's just go to demos for a minute, the way that we set up parties that probably don't help. And I know we've touched on the competition thing a few times, but I think the one thing I really scratched my head about is the kind of voting thing, because you could run a demo party without any voting at all. And people could still come and say, oh, that's awesome and that's really good. I understand how central it kind of is to the community, and I also understand how many people really like it. I'm not sure it helps with some of this stuff, though, if we're actually organizing releases into like high Thank score you. tables mm -hmm. with someone at the top and someone at the bottom. 
that is going to do nothing at best that will just mirror the issues we're talking about at worst it will actually make the issues we're talking about mm -hmm. i don't know someone defend the voting system i'm new let's see what you guys think that probably comes back well or it draws back to the to the old days of when there needed to be a winner and someone needed to be a loser and don't you think of okay. statues like you win a prize we have and that was the prizes were always like a tin of soup yeah like, 10 euros like it's it's the it's like i think it has like voting is like that's that competition aspect like in the end it became a competition because it started as boasting oh you can do this amount of shade bobs i'll do one more haha <laughs> and then it became let's show it on the big screen and then it divided and that's always what we come down to like the, the, the divide between the art and the technical aspect and the competition aspect and they're both super important to the demo scene because it's also technical merit. It's also showing off your your programming or your music or your graphic chops yeah. on a certain machine. Yeah, I'm actually really torn because to me it always has been this you go there to win kind of spirit. Yeah. <laughs> but it has never been it's just, would I try harder next year if I made second but wanted to win next time? I don't know. That probably is the old school. I don't know, maybe just the old-fashioned sort of way of maybe even raising kids. I don't know. You need to, <laughs> you need to, to, you need to get better next time. I don't know. It, it comes from sports yeah. and from all other things. It's where it's so competitive. But I, I would not know how I would feel if there's like no competition and you would just show your stuff and you go back home and you don't know how people would perceive it in, in the way of, the other productions, I find it pretty hard to imagine, actually. Okay, what, what about then? Here's a thought experiment. What about if you had a had a compo? I'm getting myself in trouble. Well, it, it, it wasn't a compo at all, right? Where no one gives quantitative scores. They just have to write a positive comment about every demo they see. And then, I mean, this might sound like crazy hippie shit, but let's just go with it. And then all those positive comments could go on like a board somewhere and you could just go and look and see what people have said about your demo. You could even have, like teachers do, two positive comments and one point for improvement. I don't know. What about that? Would that feel satisfying? So you want it's, no it's downloads on YouTube either. <laughs> yeah. I see Excel's world falling apart of like how to perceive it like a public. I would love it. I would love that it would be a, a positive experience for everybody. And you see it sometimes where people don't care. They just want to show stuff in the compo and see what their friends made and they don't care. But it's always the drive. The drive is always, let's wait for the prize giving ceremony. Yeah. Let's see your name on the screen. Let's go on the stage and get a prize. And it's that kind of like where we always were scared to say who we are, but then boast in that like, in that like attention when you did win. Yeah. And it's, it's I find that like, do you think that as a male dominated subculture that it was inevitable that we would make it a competition, that there was never a choice? It's a really good point. Yeah, there was an inevitability to it. I do like that. But I think also, like, you know, to to, to counteract again, like my, my experiences in Somerhack of that compo were really, really positive. It was lovely. It was collegiate. It was caring. It was fun. It was funny. It was funny and fun. Yeah. And, and everything I thought about competition was kind of overturned by that. I guess what we need to appreciate is, like we've talked already, there's going to be people out here who probably aren't doing stuff because how they perceive this is going to be when they do it. Yeah. And I think that's our challenge. Because then there's another bunch of people who are doing that stuff only because it's there. 
<laughs> oh, it's so tricky. It is, and I think I love when you say that, that it's like the competition felt so good when I was there in person, because I think it's every demo party. Yeah. When you're there and you're at the party and there's a competition in person, that is it melts like snow for the sun, that fear is like, oh, this is just, there's still excitement for showing your prod, but there's like, there's no hate. And I think that no. is a really important part of it. Absolutely. Rarely hate. I think <laughs> really bad productions, but that's... Or really started. good, or really good ones. Let's well, be honest. That, that jealousy, that jealousy, jealousy thing. And envy, it does happen. And oh yeah, again, I've had it. Yeah, it's where well, you go, but it's usually you go. Oh gosh, darn it! You did that in a way that uh, I wanted to do, and then you, you're you're annoyed, but never really annoyed. You're more like. I think that is what I we would, I would love to convey to them. Like, don't be afraid if you make something, because people will usually like people will be positive i can't like, i think it will be really positive yeah sure but you might be afraid that it's let's let's delve a bit deeper maybe in things for like we said like care like for us like mental care in these kind of male-dominated scenes where it's difficult sometimes to feel to be yourself or how do you i um yeah behave yeah. Or... yeah so i mean absolutely and, and i think you know there's well, obviously we've got to acknowledge that we do have a diverse group of people involved in the demo scene and coming, but you're right, there's, there's this kind of overall, um, it does feel like a male-dominated environment. Um, and, you know, I think masculinity is a funny thing, right? It's like uh, some people think about masculinity as being, against something in your head. I don't really view it that way. I take more the position of masculinity is almost like a menu, a menu of ways of behaving and thinking and being that you can take bits off and anyone can take bits off that menu it doesn't matter what your gender you can do being masculine uh, but perhaps some genders are it's, it's less of a big deal for them to take things off that menu than others so there's stuff you can take off there as a, a male that, that would never be commented on whereas if a different gender took it off that menu they would right so masculinity is this thing yes. and then there's good things about masculinity and there, there's things that are more complicated about masculinity but i think you've said already what's been written about again listeners we're getting to almost a quite a political area here so not everyone may agree with this that some of the work on gender that I like the most in psychology talks about that if you look at that menu there's perhaps particular flavors of values running across all of it and some of those values aren't necessarily negative you know things like kind of strength and rationality yeah I mean maybe they're good things right um maybe things about standing on your own two feet and sort of being individually capable and not requiring support of others that starts to sound a bit more complicated. And then there's probably also stuff around aggression and kind of aspects of competition that, that's probably getting into the not so good at all area. So all of us who eat off the menu of masculinity will be taking this stuff. And then of course we're put in this environment, hyper-focused environment where we're doing something we really care about. And we've already talked about some of the complex kind of dynamics that are around it as well. What can we do to look after each other? Well, I think, you know, we, we, I've seen a lot of great examples of people looking after each other in the demo scene. I've seen a uh, really wonderful acceptance of different ways of being that perhaps I've not found in other areas. So some people are super, super shy, or some people may openly say, I really struggle with social interaction. Those people are still welcomed in. There's something really, really beautiful about that. Where I think we need to have our eye is that, uh, 
a, a off the menu of masculinity, one way of dealing with your problems is not to deal with them and just to disappear. And I think yeah. disappearing is the, the thing to, that we should all be looking out for. Because I think if someone looks sad and they're in an environment where they're, where they're being sad and we know that something going on, that's one thing and we can like contain that person, we, we can support them. But withdrawing is much more complicated. I've seen a lot of really good people withdraw at times, and I've had that sense of wanting to withdraw too. And of course, it's tricky as well if people have families and lives and jobs. Maybe they've just not got time and you don't want to bug them or whatever. I'm, I feel I've made some mistakes in the past where I've had friends in the demo scene who've clearly withdrawn, not because things were okay, and I've been too awkward to follow it up. It's actually my buddy Speaker is the best. Speaker will support anyone who withdraws, and he does it in an awesome way. Uh, what he does is he doesn't get in touch with someone and say, hey, dude, where are you? What are you doing? Or, hey, have you been working on anything recently? Because obviously those kind of questions may not help, depending on what that person is. What Speaker just does, and he did this when I was having a really rough patch a couple of years ago, he just was like, send me little uh, WhatsApp videos of effects he'd been working on. Just nothing else to say. Hey, I thought you wanted to see this. And there was something about that contact, that non-pressurised contact, that was fantastic. Let's just step back a bit, right? If we want to support people we think are struggling, and we think they might be struggling because they're not there, what we don't want to do is replicate any of the pressures that are leading them to not be there in the first place. And we just need to hold in mind, yeah, it is kind of a competitive environment where people like feel pushed, they feel they have to be better than each other. We want to design our communications to do none of those things for that person. It's so simple to reach out to someone and not say, hey, you've been working on anything recently? Instead, just say, hey, do you want to see some stuff I've been working on? Think of the difference that does psychologically. So I think there's a, a lot we can do to support each other. I think that issue around withdrawal is the important thing, actually, for, for our scene as it is. Um, and, and just to make sure that we don't fall into those traps of creating that environment more so that perhaps that person's trying to withdraw from in the first place. Very good points. And I oh, think thank you. It's, it's yeah, almost no, like it's, it's my it's, job. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Hey, yes. No, but this is so... This is so, Sorry, this sounded so really sounded <laughs> I apologize when I came out. But I was like, because I feel this like immediately, of course, because it is your job and it, it rings home and I immediately apply this to been in a demo scene so long, know so many people and it's like that like as you said like people are very open about being like i'm a bit more socially awkward and that is a thing that was always very present in the demo scene because we all kind of were and so that is easier to be like hey i'm just but then making that a little bit more profound as a connection is harder mm -hmm. and I, I love the way of just of open just sharing instead of like yeah. sh sharing is caring in that aspect of like just opening conversations up and I hope that that will yeah that, that will help that we can bring this out it actually I think, I think, it actually does sorry. not sound like it is a job just so you're sure like you can be sure about that it, it, because it's it really comes it sounds like it's coming from your heart and and I think that's also what is your personal experience that that helps you know yeah, making yeah, it really yeah, yeah. Um, you know profound and and so people i think will take a lot of this um, with them and it's things that we don't think about that often like a demo scene is a fun it's a hobby that we did as teenagers a lot of people started as teenagers and then we keep doing and we just make stuff and everybody people like also tend to like not take it as seriously ah it's just for fun and i think that sometimes diminishes it sometimes I, I agree 
and I think it's fascinating. It's one of these things that can be both. It can be both. Hey, this is yes. this is fun, and this is really silly. And I, I love those conversations where we're just like, guys, what are we do? This is so silly. Imagine what anyone other than us would say about what we're talking about or doing. You know, when you're working on something. But it also just because something is niche. It doesn't mean it isn't meaningful. And I, I sometimes think in those sort of conversations, oh, you know, we shouldn't feel ashamed of being so passionate about something that sure, 99.99% yes. of the world might not be interested in, or, or perhaps some people even be, what would you do? Honestly, who cares, man? Like life and existence is as confusing and bewildering as it is anyway. The least we can do is find things we love and care about and share them with other people. And, and like, you know, back to that socially awkward point, you know, we, we want to be compassionate. And if, if someone wants to be around other people, but they struggle with those conversations, I know none of us would, but why, why would we judge? That's lovely. Mm, they're part of the community exactly. they're in. You know, we can look to what it's like out there in the world where the slightest difference between us that's perceived as unusual, like is diagnosed or like, you know, people given medication for feelings and some of that stuff can work great. But like, if we're more open to thinking about the, the spectrum of human behavior, I don't mean spectrum in a specific way there, I just mean how we're all different, um, then then we're going to be in a better place and be able to show that compassion to one another. And uh, yeah, I've seen that in the demo scene, you know, and perhaps it's because we all know what we're doing is a bit different. It yeah. leads that sort of openness with how we can communicate and support each other. One thing I wanted to ask you is that, is, because you mentioned it right uh, right now, is that do you actually need to develop some kind of spirit of where you would go, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, and find comfort with, with that. And once you deal with what's the worst thing that could happen is, then you probably are more daring to, to make a step in the direction of releasing something or doing something or talking to someone about it. How do you yeah, it? for real. And I, I think, you know, like any kind of interest or hobby like this is, is, is something that, that can, that can be an incredible protector for us. It's almost like a suit of armor. You know, however problematic the world is out there, you've got this little thing that's yours. And I've really felt that strongly at times. I think what we probably do need to acknowledge is that it can get to the point for some people where that hobby is so big and so huge that it's actually starting to cause problems for them in the outside world. It can be like that with absolutely anything. I've certainly had times myself where I've slipped into thinking a little bit too much about it or like, you know, we all know what it's like, especially if you have a busy life, you say you're coding or doing like graphics music at like one o'clock in the morning and then you try and go to bed and you can't sleep because you've been staring at a laptop and then you're meant to be up for work at 6am and we'd need to be careful because it is something that comes with such passion and love it can easily if we're not careful slip in something that does start being a bit more difficult and that's a difficult line to walk it's a difficult line actually when i Look back at how I was back then when I was in school and we were swapping floppy disks and sending them through the mail. I was going home in our 10 a.m. break in school. I was checking if there were new disks being sent to me and then we were quickly watching a demo and then we were rushing back into school because I was living next to the school directly. And when I got home from school, I was starting uh, or, or continuing composing music and and my parents let's just like open the door are you like dinner <laughs> and then i was gone again like if if i was the father now i was i would have like 
kid checked on if he's okay. <laughs> so where do you, or when does, I don't know, creative, I mean, it's creativity that you that you try to channel through something like this. Is that something that, at what point would you say, or what would be an advice to parents at what what kind of focus is okay and what kind of focus is a bit too much then maybe? Yeah, I understand. I, I think, and it's such a difficult question to answer. And the reason I find it difficult is because psychology as a, as a discipline and psychiatry, so psychiatry and psychology are kind of, they fit together. Um, they've for hundreds of years tried to write down definitions of exactly what you just said. When does a set of behaviors or feelings get too much that these things are definitely a problem? If we look over those lists over the years, there's a lot of really problematic stuff on those lists. Anyone who knows anything of the history of psychology and psychiatry, it's a very checkered and difficult history. And I still have some of those feelings today about this stuff. You know, when is a, a problem a problem? Do I think that just because someone likes talking about one subject a lot, is that a problem? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it might be a problem for people around that individual. Uh, it's not the same as it being okay, a problem for the person. It might be a problem, I guess, if it puts that per person in a place where they're not able to do things they kind of need to do in their lives. I think... There's something here about knowing yourself, knowing when something's gone too far. And I think there is something about being able to rely on some of the people around you that you care about to tell you when something's gone too far as well. That doesn't necessarily mean, I think, okay, you know, that people are telling you this has gone too far, so you should go straight to your doctor and, and get diagnosed with depression or anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder. I don't mean that. Mm. I just mean about trying to hold that and think, okay, has this gone too far? There's been times for me, I think it's gone too far. Um, my first couple of, my first two assembly releases um, at parties, I stayed up all night finishing because I, I thought I'd finish it. And then, of course, it always takes longer than you think. And I just remember that panic at 5am. Oh my God, it doesn't work. And the deadline's in three hours. And, and, and that was uh, one thing to do when you're 15. But I was like 41 and I had three children who were about to get up and, and require childcare. <laughs> On those occasions, I thought, this, this is now affecting my engagement with the world around me. And so I need to think about it. Um, I think we all have those lines, but they really differ between us. But what I definitely don't like is the idea that we say, just because someone really likes doing this and not much else, that means that person's got a problem. Mm. Because again, you know, the world's bewildering. I don't, I don't understand. If you find something that gets you through, I say grab it with both hands. <laughs> <laughs> did you make any changes to, to like programming through the yeah, night? Or? I did. I did. I never did it again. And the way, in fact, there, there were two changes I made. Number one is that I stopped aiming for specific deadlines. And I was just like, okay, let's not even do deadlines anymore. Yeah, like what's the worst thing that can happen, right? So and, exactly. and deal with it then. Let's just make something and, and if it's ready, it's ready. And if it's not, it's not. So part of that was managing expectations of people around me. At the start, I'd done the thing, guys, I'm going to do a release for revision in two weeks. Look out for it. And it's like, no, if I hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't have had all that. I've already told you the social pressure pushes on me. <laughs> I wouldn't have had it. So I, I stopped working to deadlines and I started just taking my time and slowing down and trying to enjoy it a bit more. I think I got 
and again, we're all children of our culture, right? I got absorbed into a way of working initially that looked a heck of a lot like an office job. So it's like, right, I need to code. Ah, is it finished? I haven't met my deadlines. And there's some guys that that works really well for. For me, it didn't work. It just set me up to fail in all the ways I'd fa I failed earlier. So new mode, I will start a year before a party. I might be interested in doing something for and I'll see what happens. And I've not once had to stay up all night. It's been awesome. <laughs> oh my God, this is supposed to be a lesson that, that like 99% of, of the demo groups could benefit from. We all try, we all try to start a year in advance. We always end up two weeks in advance crush, uh, crunching and trying to finish it. I mean, the amount of times that you said, okay, we're not going to work at the party and you end up working at the party. I mean, it's, but I, I hear what you say. It's like, I, it's like what I did when I said I would make a demo for Evoke and everybody was like, is it done? And I'm like, no. So I had to finish it and it's, it's terrible, but I released something. And that's for me, that aspect of like, I don't care if people think it's, I think again, as we still talked about, people were bewildered about my demo. I think that's a good like emotion to feel. That's but an awesome that's, outcome. That is yeah. awesome. I, I want to, for new people, people mostly as well because it's like it's so great that you're weird to say but it's so great that you're also so new because you bring these perspectives in like as a psychologist of seeing the dynamic between a group like a subculture clearly grown from teenage roots to what it is now yeah. and then also as a newbie so like how, yeah. do I, how do I come into this scene yeah. and claim my mark and do I have enough and Those perspectives are so interesting because then the demo scene can learn like what are we doing to welcome people? Is a newbie table enough, mm. or do we need to like? Or should it not be called a newbie table? Like, yeah, yeah that's you know? already like the wording yeah. is there. Like it's so yeah. again, so it's a really good incentive to have something. But you call it a newbie table, so you immediately mark it as a as the newcomers, and like yeah. it's that's it's something that we keep struggling with, and I always love these new perspectives on it and having the insights from you are incredibly interesting oh thank you thank you yeah. i tried to like mull this into a question but I don't <laughs> yeah was there a question <laughs> i think uh, uh so i think you're absolutely right I, th i think you know there's to be honest right psychology is not difficult it's just sort of being an okay person and thinking about other people a bit that's basically 90 of what i do and then i occasionally read a textbook when i have to so that's kind of my career but i think you're right like there's something really important about critically challenging the environment you're in and how you feel within that environment so the best thing all of us can do in any part of my life of their lives from a, a a kind of psychological perspective is to reflect on okay so i'm here i take all this in front of me for granted because i've seen it so many times but actually just as we've done today what's the history where's it's come from what are the good parts of that history what are actually the bits of that history that might be against my own values because it's really easy to be drawn into ways of being that actually when you think about it oh i'm not too sure about that your point about the newbie table is perfect you can see that that's grown from compassion and love and it's about wanting to get people involved but then another consequence of it as you say it demarcates people as being new people who may already be really self-conscious about being new i don't know if there's a better way to do it um but but it's interesting to then start playing with what that might look like 
And that's the thing is that it comes from a place of love and it comes from a place of trying to be open. And I think that is, you hit something on the, uh, like a nail on the head there is about being introspective. Uh-huh. And also being introspective about your position as a demo scener in the scene and as a long-time demo scener. And also like the bad things and call them out and uh-huh. not just say they're part of the culture. This is how we do it. And that's something that in a demo scene can be really hard. Uh-huh. Always. Hard everywhere. And, and, and tradition and respect and old school. And if there's... And, I've already, I haven't made friends in the old school scene in this podcast, so I'm not going to go that much deeper. But I've, there is a certain kind of um, pushback from people to like, but why should we change this? Why should we do it differently? It has been working for me for so long. Yeah, of course. And, and like, you know, humans, uh, all human societies have rituals. Okay, they have rituals as part of them. And, and they're therefore there for a reason. We, we socially seem to need rituals to hold ourselves together. And rituals can look very different. Like, okay, people listening, I'm in the UK and today we buried the Queen. And that was like a 12-hour a ritual or series of rituals took place. It's one that I personally couldn't identify with, but lots of people who live in this country seem to. Yeah, this hasn't come from nowhere. Um, I think what we can ask ourselves, it's not about, we have a, a phrase in English, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which means yes. where you just get rid of everything when perhaps you don't need to. We can look and think, well, what are our rituals and what are the rituals we want to keep? There's something about publicly showing our work that feels like a really important ritualistic part of the scene. And having this set up as part of some sort of party with some days or time leading up, and then you have this exhibition, that feels really important. Voting is more complicated, right? We've already said, is this is this a ritual we need? I think we need a way to give feedback to one another in a structured way. Um, and that needs to be done ritualistically, whether we need to score each other in high score tables. I'll let people think about that. Some people mm. will love that, some people less so. Maybe then we've got some rituals that are less healthy. So like the stuff that's come, we've just talked about it, working through the night at a party. Just physically, I don't want to sound like paternalistic, but you know, if you're in your 40s and 50s and staying up all night, Cody, that's probably not great, is it? You feel you feel terrible for days. <laughs> like when I was a kid, I could do that stuff, but now I feel dreadful for a week if I attempt something like that. Maybe we need to support people away from that. I mean, I don't know. These are just ideas, but we don't have to get rid of everything. But can we think about the things that are more or less inclusive or the things that are more or less what we want this to be and feel um, and think about their consequences for different kinds of people? And I think if we can do that, we're doing an amazing job. Um, and I think we are, actually. I think the demo scene is great for this stuff. But there's probably, you know, the basis of this and the last podcast that you guys did shows that there's probably more there, isn't there, we can think yeah. about. Right. Would you say that there's a sense of belonging that, that people are aiming for, that how, how this could be further nurtured? Is that- yeah, it's a really interesting point. And, and not everyone wants that belonging, because that's always quite difficult. Um, so I, I, think, I think there's something incredibly psychologically supportive about having a structure of individuals with a common mindset and set of interests doing something together. And it doesn't matter whether it's like, you know, playing in a band or doing graffiti art or doing this or doing pottery. It really doesn't matter. This, the fact this happens everywhere in different human societies is showing us there's something good about it. 
what we really need to be really careful of in the demo scenes, all the stuff we've discussed earlier, the fact that there are these underlying values that are still there around kind of hierarchy and competition means we can very easily splinter in difficult and weird ways. So like, you know, you mentioned about belonging. It's like, well, belonging, I guess, to what? If we got a single demo scene or is it we've got these different communities within it? And and what if some of those communities are kind of opposed to one another? As you always find in subgroups, this happens everywhere and subcultures. Um, I think the belonging question is, for me, it's more important people belong to something and they find that network that within which they fit. I think as long as then we calibrate that network so that it, it welcomes people in and doesn't sit too far away from other networks around it, we're doing a really, really good job. No, I was going to say, I think belonging is fundamentally a human a human need. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, but even people who struggle with social interaction, I think it's really good for those people to be around other people in that kind of environment. I just think, yeah, uh, it is something that we, we, we have and it's what makes us who we are. And it can be hard to hold on to that in a society that feels so individualized and competitive at times. Yeah, I guess it's drive for uh, to being accepted right within the community. And while yeah, it was a, a demo absolutely. group in the 80s, was your first line of uh, of of um, comparing yourself to the others now it seems like the demo scene is more of a an open sort of where the groups don't matter anymore at, at least yeah. that's how i see it these days is that the groups don't matter anymore but everyone collaborates with everyone else who, who wants to collaborate there's poor collaboration i think it's way flatter than it was yeah. before because it's also the communication opened up because i say the internet good thing bad thing we can have a long talk about that for another episode yeah, yeah. but yeah i think that the good thing is that it opened it up way more but again because there is no one demo scene and there is nobody in charge and every party runs its own rules and every group and every sub scene might indeed so it's really hard to this see the scene should change but i was like really interested to see like to, to, to reflect on that like to introspect on like what do I like personally and how would I like it to be better and what would that need and that, as you said being a good person and doing good is really important I think that is also in life that should be our main goal like be open be good to everybody that wants to join or is joined or is in our scene yeah yeah absolutely because what we're doing here i just think is it uh, i just think the demo scene has such a a beautiful countercultural message to it which is that actually you can make something just for the love of making it because you think it's beautiful or you think it's meaningful it's something that well okay this is a little bit more complicated with youtube but it's something that technically can't be co-opted and monetized it's just a thing and I don't think there's a more political act than that at this point in, in, in history. <laughs> there have been discussions about monetizing and there have, it's, it, it, it all came by and I think the demo scene like very much in a whole has rejected a lot of things yeah. that people try to try to make it into something. And I think as soon as somebody tries to make it into something, there is the pushback. Yeah, sure. One thing I'd like to touch upon quickly now is when when things are not going so well. Like I mean, I would imagine that the creative industries—I don't know—be it advertising, be it cons playing a concert, be it working on a piece of art—is you you work a lot on a single piece of I don't know campaign, song, whatever, and and you focus for a longer time on on that part. When would you say is is it critical that you that you just keep going on in, in the same mindset and, and you, you start to lose the aspect of, of, of taking a break in, in between? No, 
Uh, I, I, I think that's um that's a really good and a really difficult question because in some ways it's about what people what motivates people individually. Um, you know, uh, we we know people, don't we, who who spend years working on one thing, and we know other people who it's really important to get this thing out for this party. And it's not finished. Screw it. It's out anyway. Um, what this makes me think of, and it's something I'm learning, and I've learned the hard way, is I really think this is where working with others is really important. I mean, we've already said on one hand, like there's some stuff people might do by themselves, like, like you know, uh, a single bit of graphic, a single tune, a single 256 byte intro. Okay, you wouldn't work with others there necessarily. But once you start doing something big and invested, where, where you, you've put your heart and soul into this piece of work, you're in a position where you could quite easily burn out. I think that's what we're talking about now. Or, or, or alternatively, get into a very negative relationship with that thing you've made. For me, that is always mediated by having other people involved. Because in those moments, we know this, you become your own worst enemy. When you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're feeling uh, any kind of negative emotion, you, your, your thinking is, is so shifted. Like Particularly if you're someone who leans perhaps to a bit more miserable or sad thinking, which lots of people in the demo scene may identify with, with feeling quite miserable or depressed or whatever word they want to use most of the time. Once you're in that place, your lens to the world is shifted hugely. And okay, it can't always work, but what really helps balance that is having the view of someone else. I would now never take on another big project without someone else involved. And, and in fact, the, the last big demo I did for summer hack even though um i did that kind of by myself it wasn't in a crew i did did it with two other people i did it with exocet and tom chi did me the graphics and music but i did all the code and it wasn't part of a crew i just kind of wanted to do this thing i for the first time actually did what we discussed earlier where i did show people parts and talk to people about parts as it went on and that really really helped because in those times when you think, oh, it's broken, I'm not going to be able to fix it, or, oh, God, I'm just so sick of this, or one of your kids gets ill and you, you lose a week, you know, we all know what those feelings are like. Having someone else to actually reset what can be very negative thinking feels really, really important. But isn't the problem that, I guess, or I would imagine the biggest hurdle to be to actually get yourself to reach out? How can you, can you give any advice on actually keeping maple uh, people making that step actually to reach out. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the kind of first thing I'd say is, is, is it links to, to um, some of our discussions earlier, where, like I said, you know, human societies always have rituals and they have practices that have emerged. I think the fact that so many demos are done in groups is telling us something about this being better to do in groups. Because if it was better for people to do it by themselves, we'd see more people doing it by themselves. Now, I know that sounds silly, but it must be telling us something about that psychological experience. It is better with others. There's something protective about doing it with others. Now, how you reach out? Well, when we know, don't we, when you are in a negative or upset mindset, you don't necessarily make the decisions that you would make if you weren't in that mindset. And I, myself, who is a withdrawer at those times, I am the least likely to reach out to others when I think I need it, because I tend to have the most feelings of shame and misery and discomfort. And if I can't do this by myself, I don't want anyone else to know this is shameful. If I can't do it, I may as well not bother. Mm. That's the time where it's incumbent on the people who know me, and I'm not telling this to the people who know me because they do it anyway to reach back out to me actually i think that's the biggest 
responsibility we can have for people we work with is to see when they're in those moments. Because we know, we know if someone's working on something and we haven't heard from them for a few weeks, something could be going on. And it's so easy in our busy lives to just be like, oh, probably okay. But actually, you should think in that moment, no, what was it like for me last time I was in that position? It sucks. I needed someone to reach out and to say, hey, uh, here's the thing I've been working on. Or, or hey, how think going? You're right. You know, there's something about that. Would you say it's it's up to you to build that safety net of people you know, reaching back to you? Or is that something, because that's what I think is the difficulty, because if, if you are like the Lone Ranger working on your thing and you're not having that many social contacts, would you say it's, I mean, you cannot rely on the others to always keep going back to you and, and ask, you know, how are you doing? Would you say there's it, at least in the beginning, it, it is your duty somewhat to, to have some kind of social network that, that catches you when you're when you're yeah, having trouble yeah, yeah yeah well what is it's such an interesting question and it actually cuts to the heart of a really big debate in more clinical forms of psychology about how to support people do we essentially say we need to work on that individual who's experiencing the problems and get them to change how they are or do we need to look at the structures around that individual in order to get them in a position where they're more supported or indeed actually i think probably both is what often needs to be done We can't force people to reach out. We, I can completely understand the argument that it shouldn't be the sort of kind of, um, it shouldn't be on everyone around that person or not that person at all to forge those networks. But perhaps back to our discussion about how can we make the scene more welcoming, maybe we're starting to get towards what we need to be aiming for, for new people coming in. We need to find a way to empower those people to make those links and to give them some structures and networks to join. I tell you what no one said to me when I joined and started, and this is not a criticism of them because they wouldn't do. Um, no one said, hey, you might actually find this kind of a bit lonely when you get stuck by yourself and it really might help you. You're feeling okay now, but there's going to be times you might not feel so good. Maybe now's the time just to say sort of hi to a few other people so you've got those people there for you. I think that would be the best bit of advice we could give somebody who's kind of coming in and they're enthusiastic and they're new. So they know, and for some people you know hopefully they would never get to that point where they need that support mm. but i don't think people would realize how emotionally intense this kind of thing can be unless they're in it so that's almost yeah we need to encourage people in a in a compassionate way and we also need to make sure we've got some networks open for them to come into and if we can do that we, we've done everything we can some people may never make those links but we know we've done everything we can right because i i guess to some extent the demo groups or even the talks between groups or talking to other people at parties, it still remains somewhat superficial, at least mm -hmm. to, to how I experienced it. I mean, you don't get like deep friends, like, you know, in, in Dita who will, you know, you will have, have an exchange like every other week or so. I think it, it remains at some sort of top level. I don't know, maybe the Oki or you can, you can uh, say different things about it, but I, I would, that at least that's the way I experienced it at parties. I mean, you, you meet up at parties and yeah, I'll see you next year and blah, blah, blah. But you, you cannot really expect that community to, to carry you through your, you know, in case you're, you're having uh, trouble in other times. I think you, like, you're pretty much an exception of having a very tight 
network of people that you mm. that, that keep going back to you and ask, oh, are you okay or so? But I would imagine the majority of, of people just talking like just a wild guess, but not having that kind of tight net around you. To, to chime in there is that I think it can be. You have people that you meet only twice a year at demo parties. Mm. That's a different kind of relationship yet with those yeah, for those people than that you have with your friends that are closer. I still think it's a really good point to tell people like, hey, be aware, like talk to people and it's okay to make those connections. Because I think I've seen like it can be very profound and I have friends in the demo scene that I don't see for three years. And when we meet, we just pick up, pick up where we left off. And it's, so I think it's very personal how you connect. But I think that kind of the realization of, hey, be mindful of yourself and it's okay to to make these bonds, I think is really good. But yeah, I think it's for everybody, it's a different um, connection. I think so. I think there's something about, I mean, I, can, I do actually agree with the, the points you make. Um, and I, I think there's something about, well, what do we mean by a community? I think a community can be two people or three people, or it can be a thousand people, or it could be somewhere in the middle. And I do think that, that there's something about finding some level of support and it could just be that one other person or two other people that you can you can talk to um it could be a crew or a group a team it could be the atari scene it could be revision i mean i don't know these are all mm. different levels and we all relate to them differently but i also think what's really crucial you can have supportive conversations without going into anywhere near the level of intellectual and emotional uh detail that we have done here like just having somebody that you know is there, just having somebody say, yeah, yeah, it sucks when you get like to this point. You'll be all right in a couple of weeks. Oh, that's all it needs. It doesn't have to be more than that's that. Profound. Yeah, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. And in fact, probably it wouldn't be that profound because for all the reasons we've already discussed, you know, we're, we're, we're letting our emotions, or I am, I'm letting my emotions hang out here. Apparently I do that a lot, <laughs> but like it isn't necessarily what people are comfortable with and most people wouldn't need to be. Some For some people, it might just be sitting next to someone at a party and doing yeah. something next to them physically. That might be enough just something right it's, it's, as long as it's, it's if you're clear and i think that is yeah a really good point of like i wanted to say something but now it's slipped my mind like, it's been a lot like it's been a good talk and yeah, yeah it's been a good talk yeah it's long it's long yeah yeah i guess people need to understand that it's not required to have a, such a huge emotional investment into your you know colleagues and friends yeah. and whatever in within the community so it's not a requirement per se you know <laughs> no. what i mean it's, it's it's probably it's probably a disadvantage yeah. let's be honest no, it's, it's, it's way more fluid than that and i think that is like i get your point as well axel of like i don't know how comfortable i am getting close but you don't necessarily have to it's just that checking in and being aware so i think yeah, yeah that was it's a, a good point to i think wrap up the interview because we've heard a lot and thank you for so many great insights and just advice to kind of things to make us aware of things that we might not be aware of. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we all know it all already. We've just got to become aware of it. Yeah. And and having introspection is good and having these aware, these things of like, oh, there's going to be a ravine when I'm done. How do I treat myself to not falling down? What yeah. do I do for myself? Those kind of things are super important. And it was really great to have you on the show and in depth talk about these things. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. 
And who knows, we might ask you back to talk about the internet. Bad idea yeah. or terrible idea? <laughs> I think it's a great idea. <laughs> one, one, one final question that I would have is, is that because you mentioned expectations early, expectations early on. Uh, sorry to to rewind quickly, but you, how do you, do, what what kind of advice would you give to someone of of how to manage? The expectations for your next production because you obviously have been in that in that uh, area already and um, and it's something that i think is um affecting many seniors who have done something that was really widely accepted and and what was what kind of advice would you give to others about managing these expectations that others have on you uh, I, I think with this, the most important thing is always to begin with being genuinely honest to yourself about what you are capable of. That was something that I still don't get right. Um, there's what you hope you're going to be capable of in terms of getting things done in a certain time or to a certain standard. And then there's the reality. And what can very easily happen is with that lack of certainty, it can just become spurted out at the other people around you. Yeah, of course, I'll do this for you within two weeks. And you know, you know, who are you speaking to in that moment? Who are you trying to reassure? You're trying to reassure yourself. Unfortunately, though, you've just done it publicly to someone else. So one of the strategies is someone who has overpromised and under delivered several times in the demo team world is to just stop having those kinds of those interactions um instead actually think really carefully at any point if someone invites me to do something just say yeah it's so awesome that you thought about me for this i'm just going to have to go and think about it that's my number one tip because then you can go and spend the five ten minutes thinking actually no i i have like this to do and that to do. And i've got to go to work and i've got to do this and i've got to actually have an operation i forgot about and i've got all my children to look after and then you're a bit more honest with yourself as someone new being asked to do things oh it was so validating and i got myself into all sorts of complicated situations by saying oh yeah i'll do this for you i'll write you that intro for tomorrow <laughs> no stop who am i trying to kid i should have said thanks for asking dude but um but i'm gonna think about that <laughs> finally how do you manage your your demo scene life within your family Oh, appallingly. I mean, I've got a bit better, but like, uh, luckily my kids are a bit older now. They're aged between 10 and 14. So they're, they're, they're mainly practically kind of self, well, kind of independent. Um, emotionally, it's absolutely exhausting. You know, having kids at this age, I remember what it was like to be 14 and at school, and I had a terrible time. And seeing my daughter go through all the same stuff, I'm completely unable to deal with it. But yeah, that's a different story. So how do I manage it? How do I manage it? Um, I, I've tried to get them interested, but they're not. I kind of not surprised about that. Um, but <laughs> instead, like what they are genuinely really pleased for is me having something that I've got and something that I care about and something that I'm interested in. So like, I think I'm like the rest of us really, you know, doing it at six o'clock in the morning and all the unhealthy times like that to fit around, but also knowing actually if there's a weekend and I'm with the kids, I'm not going to feel angry or frustrated that I can't work on this thing I need to finish they are young for not very long i hopefully have got another 40 years making awesome demos let's just chill out it's two days man oh my god this <laughs> is good advice. Best final words ever <laughs> i think this is great to end on and it's again there is no time pressure for demos in the end so that's great uh yeah thank you so much for delving deep with us and giving us some really good like help and advice to work with and i hope it rang home 
for the listeners as well. So yeah, thank you so yeah, much. It's been thank interesting. You. Thanks a lot, man. Great to talk. Thanks. So that was a lot of information we got. What do you guys yeah, think? It was highly interesting. Um, lots of things that I was really happy about that, that he would explain that much about it. Um, a lot of personal stories, I think, in, in my opinion as well. So, um, yeah, really grateful for this, for, for this interview, actually. Yeah, and I definitely will have to listen to that one again because I mean there was so much information uh, in this. It was like, okay, so he's he's really he was really into it as well. He wanted to share, which was really good. And um, it's interesting to see a sort of a professional standpoint point on things that you actually have been thinking about yourself occasionally, but like. Okay, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a professional in any way like that. So it's it's really interesting to get a a, a true. Yeah, true yeah, point of view. Knowledge, like somebody with like knowledge to, um, to apply it to what we've been doing for decades, because it's a hobby, and as I said, like always, kind of the music is a hobby. But it's interesting to get to dive quite deep and to actually also be kind of confronted with like this is how we act and this is what we do and how can we be better. Yeah. And I think that it's always the most important thing is to always try to improve yourself. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity. And a lot of information to take in. And indeed, like, who knows, we might have them back on. Because there is more to discuss, I think. We only just, like, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And um, and I hope that it will give people insights to also explore avenues to make themselves feel better. And to seek mm -hmm. that kind of comfort and support. Yeah, and I also seek help if you don't feel comfortable within these kinds of environments and on, or have issues that you think you would actually have to um, address. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't know what the right points are for for, for help, but I think we'll have some show notes um, that, that will probably lead you to some, some spots. Yeah, it's always yeah. difficult, but also indeed for your friends and your support network that even if you, if you go to a party on your own or with like a few people, that you that you talk to people and and open up because I think that we are ready for that as well in the demo scene as well to have that support. We want everybody to feel comfortable and nice. Yes, uh, and talk. I mean, just overall talking is important. So don't try to keep stuff to yourself at all points. Just have someone to talk to. That's that's the most important bit. I think. Share. So yes, yeah, that's I why think. I, that's why I have you guys. Yes, yeah. so we talk so, a lot on this podcast. And actually. <laughs> And actually, the the idea of uh, one day to to analyze like the top ten entries of any demo parties with uh, together with Tom would be absolutely hilarious. I think so, <laughs> or the top five demos of the year or something. Also, where did this all so, come um, from? What do you think the creator was thinking about when he made this? He's yeah, clearly like, mental. <laughs> we could talk about your last entry, Oki, as well for that. So. I mean, it has clowns. I mean, that says enough. Like this, this man is probably has not very fierce. No, but that is the thing again. Kind of as I said in the early earlier in the episode, hiding behind gimmicks. Like, I don't have to be good if I'm funny. So who knows? I'm going to make a good demo at one point. They're all, actually, what I'm saying, they're all good. <laughs> the little, exactly. layer, little layer of comfortable arrogance. In the eye of the beholder. <laughs> no, but it was very interesting. Excellent. And um, yeah, I hope that it gives you something for everybody that's listening to work with. Because these are important things. And think about yourself and be nice to yourself as well. Because that is also very important. 
And I think that should wrap it up. Yeah, it's been a massive episode. Yes. So potentially next episode, a little bit lighter discussion about the demo-scene-based <laughs> subjects. Not necessarily <laughs> these kind of, but it's good to touch on these subjects as well. Um, and then uh, let us wrap it all up. So thank you for listening to episode 26. The show was hosted by Oki, Axel and Zivoid and produced and edited by Shana and Luguber. Design is made possible by donations if you want and can help out. You can find the donation links to SceneSat and ActSite in the show notes. Thanks as always to Scene.org and Bitfellas. Let us know your questions, suggestions and feedback at ZineRadioShow at Scene.org. Our mailbox is open. You can also reach us on social media or put. And if you like the show, please share it with your friends. You can find us on SceneSite, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast, basically. We're there lurking in the shadows and see you in the next one thank you yes yes bye everyone bye bye okay therefore do yeah